Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. Welcome back. This is Sarah Perry, sex coach and researcher, and today we're going to be talking about the fetish of come play. Um, it's also sometimes referred to as an effluvia fetish, which has to do with like bodily secretions, but effluvia actually relates to a lot more than just cum. Um, these have started definitely in old traditions that have seen semen as extremely powerful. Even nowadays, um, there are cultures that still almost worship semen and semen play. Um, also, we will talk about some semen retention traditions, although I will not be focusing on them because I consider them to be somewhat sex negative and I want to keep this podcast super inclusive and sex positive. If for some reason you feel very drawn to learning more about semen retention, then let me know and I will make a podcast exclusively for semen retention practices. By the end of this video, you should know where come play comes from, why people like it, terms, etiquette, how to go about making this happen for yourself with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are capable and deserving of. So I wanted to start a little bit with the concept of semen retention. So the idea of semen retention has to do with um, withholding ejaculating for the purposes of either mental health or physical health or vitality, or emotional well-being, or spiritual well-being. And it can be seen in a ton, a ton of different practices, actually dating back to over a thousand years before Common Era in literature in ancient China. Um, so practices like Kai Ying Puyang, Kareza, and Tantric Sex all have to do specifically with semen retention, but in very different ways. So in Kai Ying Puyang, you're really kind of seeing yourself as uh, a being that is fed from this vital force and that once expelled semen that is so vital and so full of um, kind of nutrients and vitamins and like everything that your body needs to function properly is now being expelled and depleted. And in fact, in some of the literature, it literally says, well, after um, a person with a penis ejaculates, then they are exhausted and pass out. Well, yeah, but a person without a penis also is exhausted and passes out after an orgasm because an orgasm is a lot of energy. But if you know anything about physics, just because energy is expelled doesn't mean that it is discarded. Energy is created and transformed and ripples. And I want us to continue to think about those things when we talk about orgasms, when we talk about ways that we deprive ourselves of pleasure because the person benefiting from us depriving ourselves of pleasure is never us. Um, in tantric sex, however, it's a little bit different. In tantric sex, the idea of uh, depriving yourself of an ejaculation is not to never ejaculate. It is to learn different ways of experiencing pleasure and to prolong ejaculation, prolong orgasms in ways that don't necessarily mean I'm going to ejaculate and it's going to be over and bam. Tantric sex is more about like the connection between your mind and your body. Um, in fact, the parties related to tantric sex are called pink pujas because it's the mix of the white and the red chakra being the chakras that are of your mind and your genitals. They're called pink puja, puja meaning worship. So you're literally worshiping your mind and your like orgasmic center, your genitals together. I mean, your biggest sexual organ is actually your brain and tantric sex has tapped into that in a way that 
allows people to continue relating to their sexuality and their pleasure in ways that can be prolonged much further than an orgasm in most cases. Of course, eventually, once you get into practice, then it can turn into like extended massive orgasms and then continuing to feed into those sensations can lead to um, kind of prolonged emotions. So maybe one day we'll do one on tantric sex. Um, let's see, many reasons, self-control vitamins, um, specifically the vitamins that are secreted when you um, ejaculate, I want you to know, are not vitamins that you can't get back easily. Um, everything we do, when we sweat, when we spit, when we cry, um, when we take a shower, we are shedding um, vitamins, but that purging is actually extremely beneficial to our bodies and is not only beneficial, but necessary to stay healthy. So consider ejaculation another way that you can um, stay healthy. Um, in ancient Greece, there was a belief that semen used up so many nutrients that a young person that had a penis actually should not ejaculate until they were done growing. So think about it as in terms of like into their 20s, because they believe that it would stunt their growth, essentially. Well, luckily for every teenage penis-having person, um, that is not the case. You continue to grow. Um, but there are writings of Aristotle that even talk about this specific belief. Um, in other countries and other cultures where they also worship semen include amazing cultures like the Sambia tribe of Papua New Guinea, who in present day still um, have semen-drinking rituals. Um, so trigger warning for um, any kind of pedophilia trauma or sexual assault in childhood. Um, part of the Sambia tribe culture is that for boys to become men, they must um, be separated from the women. They do consider women to be extremely toxic. They uh, consider the smell of a vagina to be like extremely damaging to your body. So they'll like um, create distances between women and men completely from a very young age. And then um, for the young boys starting at like 8 to 11 years old, part of the ritual is that they must drink the semen from um, the elders in the tribe. And that is believed to be the only way that you can actually obtain manhood is through drinking semen. There are neighboring tribes that even do anal retention of semen where young boys must be anally penetrated by the elders in the tribe and then they must ejaculate inside of their anus so that they can grow into men. Um, and in another neighboring tribe, they believe that children should be bathed in semen to be able to grow uh, into adults. So that that's part of how you grow. They don't think that you would grow if you didn't have that. The shocking thing is that none of these cultures exhibit any of the signs that we associate to um, childhood abuse, sexual trauma. Um, they also don't approve of any of the neighboring cultures um, rituals and they believe them to be extremely damaging and probably as shocking as we think it is for them to um, exist in these conditions. Similarly, I'd like to just point out that it begs the question, like, what causes trauma? And I've heard it said before that what causes trauma sometimes is not the action, but the silence. And that this is why talk therapy is important. This is why having open communication with our kids is important. Because the thing that makes us traumatize and destroys our ability to have relationships with others and ourselves is our um, kind of forced 
silencing over the actions that have taken place and that when we continue to take to have our kids talk freely about things that have happened to them we heal those parts of themselves that get locked into little places in their minds where um you know then you have to do a ton of work the rest of your life to open it up and get in there and fix things so semen play has been around forever and in fact is seen in some of the earliest pornography in pornography that was just illustrations uh which we have you know pornography did not start as like videos of people it started as illustrations that typically exhibited um interracial um and inner class sexual relationships and also interspecies sexual relationships are the very start of pornography always including semen semen play even in interspecies sex so a lot of the semen play that was related to like people having sex with horses was the amount of the horse ejaculate and how you could essentially like bathe in it. So the idea of like effluvia play, even outside of people, has always been highly sexualized and not only sexualized, but spiritualized. It has been deemed as extremely powerful, um, not just from our perceptions of what's arousing, but also the perception of what is um, innately powerful and like gift giving, right? Um, so ejaculating at least 21 times a month has been linked to lower rates of prostate and colon cancer. So go ahead and either masturbate or share with your spouse. This does not mean that someone is responsible for making you come as much as you want. This means that I'm just letting you know if you're a person that orgasms often, odds are you're in better health um, overall than someone who doesn't. Ironically, what studies find are that if you masturbate more often, Really high rates of masturbation tend to correlate to people who are uh, more likely to be depressed and sad. I like to think that one is the consequence of the other, but it's the opposite way of how we would be taught. Typically, I think someone would interpret that data and say that because you masturbate and then you're lonely and therefore you're not seeing people and therefore you're unhappy. I tend to think that people who have issues with like mental health and stability find outlets in sexual freedom to achieve mental health balance, to achieve pleasure, and to achieve any kind of solace from those emotions, and that it works. But all you need to know is that they're in fact correlated. So frequent ejaculation uh, does reduce semen volume if it's more often than every couple of days, but it does not affect the quality or the quantity of sperm. In fact, longer periods of semen retention are actually linked to lower fertility in men. So know this, know that when you are open to information about semen retention, that some of the things that you may have heard um, can be factual. Maybe you are expelling a certain amount of nutrients, but um, you are doing it with the idea that, well, if something is lowering my fertility rate, then how can it really be better for me? How can something be good for you if it increases your chances of getting cancer, therefore dying, and it also decreases your chances of being able to create new offspring? From an evolutionary standpoint, it wouldn't make sense that something would be good for us as if, it, if it's likely to kill us and if it's less likely to make us reproduce, right? So just keep that in mind. I'm trying to be open-minded also, but I just, my reasoning does not work that way. So Come play specifically has been a part of culture and pop sex is I'm calling porn pop sex because I think that is the most inclusive way to talk about the sexuality that we're exposed to. We are not exposed to sex 
only when we watch porn. We're exposed to sex every time we turn on a movie, every time we turn on the TV, every time we get on the internet, every time we're advertised to. So recognize that everything we're exposed to and the way we see relationships in other people Let's call it pop sex because it is what's happening. It's not just porn. It's our entire um, kind of Hollywood world that we've been living in since the start. Um, so I'm going to share some terms with you that are related to come play. And I want you to um, keep an eye out to see if it's something that you may have heard before. But also potentially, even if you haven't heard it before, just know in the future that you could come across it and now you would know what they are. So um Snowballing, for example, is the passing of cum from typically mouth to mouth, but you could do like mouth to ass or like pussy to mouth to mouth. And like that idea of continuing to pass the same amount of semen around without, of sperm around without anybody um, swallowing is considered snowballing. And it is kind of a big term in queer communities, but also in any kind of like fetish communities. So like gangbang communities, probably, um, Swinger communities are a little bit different because swingers tend to be very um, male-male sex um, enemy. They don't really like having guys on guys. A lot of the swimmer community, swinger community has like one penis policy shit. So know that snowballing is actually not super common in the swinger community, but a lot more in like the queer and like a little bit more open-minded circles. Yes. The swinger community is not a super open-minded circle. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Um, so a facial would be uh, somebody ejaculating on somebody else's face. Um, a cream pie would be a cum-filled pussy or ass. Normally that looks white, which is why it's called a cream pie, like a donut. Um, usually after many partners, but it could also happen after just one. Um, when we talk about loads we, in cream pie, we talk about the one ejaculation. So if someone's like, they've taken many loads, that can refer to either one person that's ejaculated many times or many different partners ejaculating all like in tandem, right? Um, when we talk about bukkake, we're talking about several different facials from different people at once. So it's kind of like a lot of loads of facials as a bukkake, okay? Um, and there's a whole porn world on bukkakis and FetLife threads completely related to bukkakis and people love it and go crazy for it. Um, important information about any kind of facials or bukkake is to have your eyes closed. Um, if you are the person ejaculating, then be cognizant that sperm and cum burns and that it's super irritant to eyes. I don't know why, they both come from your body, it doesn't matter, your eyes do not want it in there, so be reasonable, especially if you're ejaculating on top of somebody or on their face, that either they have their eyes closed or you're aiming for a place where it's not gonna get in their eyes because it will really put a damper on the rest of your evening or day, no judgment. Um, felching also is a term mostly common in the queer community, but it's basically coming into an ass or a pussy and then sucking it out or licking it out. Super, super common. Um, there's a lot of the whole like cleanup service uh, fetish. So a lot of people, especially in cuckolding situations where one partner who is like a more masculine dominant partner is made to be submissive 
over the more submissive or feminine partner typically and is made to either be humiliated or specifically made to watch them get fucked by someone else and then they have to perform the cleanup surface service the felching that does happen um so that's a whole other fetish sometimes related to cuckolding but not always um sometimes people enjoy felching their own ejaculation and that can be kind of maybe like a less um out there way to engage in this kind of come play so remember that different people's ejaculate different people's cum has different taste it has different texture it has different smell different viscosity so you should know your partner specifically if you're trying to negotiate boundaries surrounding like swallowing facials using uh cum or ejaculate as lubrication because if it's a new partner then you don't actually know what the situation will be like. There are partners whose ejaculate could be mildly abrasive for you. In fact, a lot of people with vulvas and vaginas will comment that someone's cum will burn. So this is just related to pH levels, right? There's no one that has like this acid sperm and your like perfect pussy can't handle it. It's just literally the ph levels when they get together can sometimes be uncomfortable so it's important to know your partner before you're establishing boundaries it's important to have had some kind of play with them before you decide i definitely want to swallow your cum for example so when we talk about cum play there everything is negotiable as in every kind of sexuality just because you are engaging in cum play with someone doesn't mean that your cum play definition is the same as theirs. To some people, cum play is definitely you're going to suck someone's dick and then swallow the ejaculate. And to other people, that's not at all what it is. They want to be ejaculated on top of and they want to um, like play in it or masturbate with it. And like all of these are different aspects of cum play. So know your partner, know their taste. Um, their viscosity, their smell, before you agree or set boundaries surrounding specifically swallowing uh, and lubrication. Um, also, people like it for many reasons, right? So lubrication is a great aspect. If you're having, for example, a group of people come and a group of people are um, engaging in sex together, then lots of ejaculate can lead to a lot less lubrication needs. Um, Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes the ejaculate that people have either is a smaller quantity or is not as kind of slimy as you would prefer it to be for proper lubrication. So like I said, make sure you're kind of in touch with what your partner is like so that you know what to expect. Um, a lot of people love come play because of the connection and the trust that comes along with it. Obviously, come is... Um, a medium for STDs and STIs. Um, ironically, HIV in cum dies very quickly. Uh, it evaporates, it, it dies in contact with air very quickly, but other STIs do not. Gonorrhea, syphilis, they stay in um, sperm for a very long time. So continuing to play with um, ejaculate as a lubricant is already a sign of trust. In a lot of queer communities, I think that there isn't enough education about what you're actually exposing yourself to 
And people believe that tandem masturbation and like come play when it comes to like mutual masturbation and with um, self-masturbation with the other person's come is pretty prominent. And we don't have accurate sex ed. We don't have anyone out in the world saying, oh, by the way, HIV is not a risk, but these STIs are a risk when you're masturbating um, with these things specifically. In my research, I even came across some people who engage in come play where you would suction come up with a straw and then insert it into a penile opening well certainly this will lead to an sti if it's not your cum already um and if the person has something so remember that there's a ton of trust that has to go along with this there's also an emotional draw to bonding with people and fluid bonding and even the term fluid bonding denotes that there's some kind of special emotional bond that takes place um aside from just engaging in fluid play. Um, I do want to note though that ironically some of the terms that we use for the way we connect to other people are also referent to sex like social penetration theory has to do with penetration and insertion. So it's interesting to me that we can do this like balancing act between the idea of social penetration and of um, fluid bonding and how they are both kind of super intermingled even linguistically, right? Um, I think that is worth noting. There's also a huge taboo that comes along with come play and people in many cultures were not taught that come play was appropriate. I know I grew up Catholic and in my specific situation, I don't think that I ever even knew very much about come or that come was something that you could play with and enjoy in many ways and not just like have it finish inside of you and then you're done. I think that that is the lot for several generations and I don't know how we systemically change that other than to say allow people to be happy with whatever it is that turns them on and we must do our part to support people if they are not comfortable also so it's super important that we're having these conversations with our partners um so where can you find it most porn sites have all kinds of come play bukkake they have big money the money shot is like the time when the, the guy comes and his cum gets everywhere, it comes on the girl's face, facial, and like comes in her mouth. And then there's like this, there's so much cum play in porn. I would say that most porn ends with some graphic cum play. Um, FetLife has all kinds of cum play communities. So does Adult Friend Finder, which is a website mostly for like hookups, but also for communities of people who want uh, play partners. Uh, Reddit has entire threads related to come play and effluvia play. So there's definitely a multitude of options for you. How to prepare for this kind of stuff? For sure get tested. Always get tested. Literally get tested all the time. I don't know how to say this to you enough. I don't know how people listen to me and don't go get tested immediately. There's no reason. Uh, there are actually websites where you can get tested and pay for it later. Zero interest. Um... You can get tested at home without having to go to a clinic. It's extremely important when you are sharing bodily fluids with people to know your status. And it is the least form of respect that you can have for someone else's body to know your status, so that they have the option about being with you or not. Um, and if you don't know your status, have a conversation about the fact that you haven't been tested before they bring it up to you. If you're a person that doesn't like to get tested or that gets tested every two, three years and you have a new partner and you've had conversations about fluid play, 
You don't have to wait for them to ask you if you've been tested to say, hey, my tests aren't current. How can we deal with that right now? Should I, should we wait to get together until I get tested? Because these conversations are an intrinsic part of how we relate to each other and how we show respect for each other. For sure, establish boundaries, but also establish boundaries in a form that is both um, about rigid boundaries, but also about flexible boundaries, especially when it comes to come play. It's the kind of thing that people kind of escalate while they're escalate while they're talking about it and while they're in the moment. So someone that may necessarily never be okay with someone ejaculating into their mouth, for example, in a specific situation could absolutely be into it, could love it. And just because you've negotiated something before doesn't mean that you won't change your mind in the moment. You have the right to change your mind and that changing your mind can look like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, but it can absolutely look like, oh, by the way, I totally want you to do this to me. So have the conversation and continue that conversation going before, during, and after sex, just like you were if you were in like some kind of hardcore BDSM scenario where you're doing check-ins periodically. Remember the traffic light, light system where um, you can say something that doesn't necessarily mean stop, but that means slow down, like orange, right? Uh, and red if you absolutely want the situation to stop. So it gives you a little bit more freedom. I think um, other ways to tap into each other with consent are saying things like, do you like it when I do this? How would you feel about me doing this? Where would you like me to come? All of these things are ways that we can quickly check in and ways that are really sexy and for sure add to the dialogue of sexuality while engaging us in active consent seeking so that we can have better sex with people all of the time. Um, remember to have pregnancy conversations. So pre-cum, the big thing is, is pre-cum going to get someone pregnant? Well, not necessarily. So pre-cum does not have sperm in it. Pre-cum is a liquid that is a pH balancer and it's meant to coat, uh, the inside of a penis having person's urethra so that if there was urine in there before, it doesn't kill the sperm that comes after Here's the problem. If the person has ejaculated once and has not gone to the bathroom, has not gone to pee, urinated, then there are sperm still left in the shaft. If there is a second occurrence and you haven't peed, by the way, go pee after you come. It's healthy. But if you haven't peed after you come and you're ready to go for round two, that pre-cum will carry the sperm in it because it hasn't been kind of flushed out with urine that has a pH that kills sperm. So Technically, sure, you can get pregnant with pre-cum, but pre-cum does not have sperm in it. So understand what we're talking about when we say these things and have a conversation about pregnancy and how you're going to approach pregnancy um, if you're uh, fluid bonding, if you're having unprotected sex with two people that could create a pregnancy, of course. Um, like I said before, avoid the eyes. Trust me on this one. And so to recap, we talked about fluid play, what it is, where it comes from, different theories about why we should or should not engage in ejaculation, what we know scientifically about the amount of ejaculation we have, um, what terms mean different things when we're doing specific Google searches, but also just to know the lingo, uh, why people like it, where you can find it and access it, and of course, how you can prepare, how you can be safe, and how you can do it with consent. Thanks for listening, and I will check you out next time.
This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.